This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Welcome to Ian Weekly, and I'm your host, Todd DeVoe speaking, and we have, of course, our wonderful co-host, Dan Scott. Dan, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Doing well. So today, I'm excited to bring on our guest, and you guys, if you are on Facebook or on, I should say, on LinkedIn at all, and you're in emergency management, you have to see Lorraine Schneider running around. And Lorraine is a certified emergency manager with experience in both public and private sector, and her work focuses on community engagement and building resilience through training, exercise, and outreach. And so in 2020, she launched the Emergency Management Growth Initiative with the mission to make the emergency management professionals more visible and accessible. And uh, the three initiatives are currently highlighted as the Emergency Talk Dinner Talk Dinner Series, which I am really bummed out because I was invited to go to one and this didn't work out for me. I really want to go to it. And I can't wait till those become live again because I think that's the great informal way of discussion emergency management. The COVID-19 Hero Podcast, which is uh, actually really well done. So go out and check that out as well. And we'll have the links below as well. The Education Tour, a national series of talks led by emergency management practitioners to share our passion to help recruit the next generation of leaders and you know Lorraine shares that same passion that Dan and I do of bringing up the next generation behind us because you know like I said we're not aging out right what we're doing is we're going to be able to give our wisdom that we've learned through those years of of hard work to the next generation coming us behind us so Lorraine welcome to the show hi there thank you so much for having me you're busy I am very much so these days (laughs) Uh, but I like to stay busy. If I'm not busy, I kind of get stir crazy. So uh, I like keeping a full plate. Yeah, that's absolutely. So there's a question I used to ask everybody, and I kind of went away from it, and I, I want to get back to it. So I'm going to ask you, this is going to be the first time I've asked this question in a long time. How did you get into emergency management? That's a great question. And that's actually a question that I love asking all the emergency managers that I meet. So I always had the intention of getting into the security space. And I grew up in Europe, went to university in Germany, and then came over to UCLA for my study abroad year. Once that was completed, I saw that UCLA Extension was offering a certificate degree in emergency management and homeland security. So I thought, ooh, Homeland Security, anti-terrorism, that's totally what I want to do. And I attended my first class and I came home crying that night because I was introduced with a three-hour lecture on the science behind earthquakes. And at that point, I had only lived in Los Angeles for a year. I had never spent any time thinking about earthquakes, really. It's not something you you know, spend a lot of time thinking about growing up in, in Western Europe or any other really major disaster. So it was an initial shock. I had never heard of emergency management, but 
in just a couple of weeks, I totally fell in love with the program and what I was learning. And uh, while I was doing the certificate program, I started an internship with LA City's Emergency Management Department. And that was the beginning of a wonderful ride. <laughs> and, and, and it's a, and it's a, it's a benefit to us. I mean, um, you know, we say we're training the next generation to come. I think you're leading the way as far as the next generation of, of emergency managers. So what is it? So the, the Emergency Management Growth Initiative, let's, let's talk about that. What, what is it? And what, and what prompted you to, with, with this creation? Yeah, so thank you for that question. I, you know, having worked in emergency management over the last four years, I've just been observing here and there, what are the big issues that we face as a profession? What are some of our biggest hurdles that we all face, no matter if we work in the public sector, in the private sector, higher education, we all seem to have the same common problems. And so how do we address them? And so I, I I wanted to bring people together. I wanted to expand my network and bring folks together. Um, and so one of the first initiatives coming out of the Emergency Management Growth Initiative, which has the goal of making the emergency management profession uh, more visible and accessible, was to host a, a dinner with some of my some of the people that I know who live here in Los Angeles and bring them together to discuss a, a topic. Um, and and that, that went great. Uh, it was very well received and then COVID-19 hit. And so I decided to move those into a, a virtual platform, which has been even better because it has allowed for us to meet people from all over the country, Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, um, lots of participants, and that has really given the conversations an even higher level of connecting those groups. And then there's other initiatives going on. Um, one that we're currently working on is a, a series, again, because of the virtual, the need to do things virtually, uh, we've had to adapt from one of the initial ideas, but we are planning a series of, of education talks, talks that are, that are uh, meant to the to go to um, people who have either never heard of emergency management or who have barely heard of emergency management. So reaching out to colleges and universities across the country uh, where we have like students in public administration and public health and engineering, et cetera, and presenting emergency management as a career option to them. Because leading back to your question from before Todd, what I've, realize asking the same question to a lot of emergency managers is that we all somehow fell into it. It's not like you grow up thinking that you're going to become an emergency manager because we operate behind closed doors. Nobody yeah. sees you being an emergency manager. We're not like firefighters, police officers, EMS out in the streets. And so that's the thing. We need to, we need to better market ourselves. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like being that, not even just to bring it up the next generation when we talk about marketing ourselves, it's telling, you know, the public what we do. It's telling even like first responders and other people in government what we do, because there are times when we're like, I don't know exactly what emergency manager is. And it, and it, and because of that, when we start looking at budget cuts, there's times when the emergency manager is an easy cut because as one person told me one time, it's less friction to cut the emergency manager than any other position. So uh, I think that's important. And I think what you're doing is, is really key to, to making our profession better. You know, 
outside of that, let's, let's kind of get into that. What are some of the, what are some of the challenges that you see facing emergency managers today in the idea of spreading the word? Um, sorry, repeat that question. What are some of the challenges that you see today for us uh, as emergency management to spread that, uh, to spread the word of what we do? Um, I think we are very comfortable amongst ourselves, um, reaching out, like connecting with others. I see it on LinkedIn every day. Um, we are a pretty tight knit group, uh, which is really wonderful. But where we're lacking is to really reach out to those who we don't work with on a regular basis and who, again, don't know that we exist and that we are here. So reaching out to, to those individuals, introducing emergency management, and there are so many opportunities to do it because our work is relevant and applies to so many different, um, different areas of work um, because we have to work together on, on so many things. Like, like climate change is a, is a great example that we need to work more with, with people who are doing work in that area. So to follow up on that question is I've seen emergency manager positions all over the board, right? And mostly you're seeing them in police and fire departments um, where they sit um, as their daily job. But I've seen them at public works, even in HR, um, which makes sense because HR does risk management. And so they put the emergency manager over there. You know, where do you think the emergency manager should report to? I, my, my, I'll tell you my personal opinion. I think it should report directly to the highest executive, whether it's the mayor or the uh the city manager. So basically being at the same level as the police or fire chief. What is your opinion on that? I actually wholeheartedly agree with you. I think it should be a standalone. Um, oftentimes the issue that we have when we report to a different organization or leadership uh, group that has a different specialty, be it fire, be it police, be it security, um, they themselves oftentimes don't have the knowledge of the full, complete knowledge of emergency management that they should have in order to advocate for us and for our programs. It's really hard when you are reporting to someone who um, just lacks that, 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 that knowledge and then is not able to get you the, the funding, the support that you need in order to create those programs, um, especially when a lot of what we do preparedness initiatives, et cetera, it's kind of hard to put a dollar amount on it. And so, um, yeah, that's, and we're not driving in profits for any organization. So that's a big challenge as well. Yeah, and, and so to, to kind of expand on that, 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 um, that answer, but also the, the subject. So I mean, in my 15 years of doing this, I've, I've seen that, you know, been, so many, so many removed that you can never get anything done because it never gets past the level that it needs to get past because someone doesn't feel it's important enough or have an understanding of why it should be done. And one of the, you know, the great things about your initiative, EMGI, is that it's trying to get get it out there to the to the new and um, maybe even an aspiring emergency manager or to create that person that willingness to be aspired to be an emergency manager. But how do we change that mindset? Uh, right now with, you know, we do, we work with police and we work with fire and we work with EMS and we work with all these, these people and EM, EM in general can be in, be a position that's in one of those organizations. But how do we as professionals put, advertise ourselves better, publicize ourselves better, market, as we just said, market ourselves better to kind of make them understand and elevate ourselves to the level in which we need to be, in your opinion? 
So I'm a really big fan of storytelling. Um, I guess that goes for you know, working for the Walt Disney Company, it's part of it. But even before then, I was uh, really introduced to the power of storytelling. And um, Gabrielle Alman, who is a, a dear friend of mine and the mentor, and she really specializes in that. So I've learned a lot from her. But I think if we really bring out more stories of emergency managers, who they are, what their what their work is, but also how their work affects people all over. I think that can be really powerful. And hearing those stories is um, can really, you know, touch people's hearts. It can make them understand in a way that when we watch a documentary or we watch a movie, we're touched and and we sh start showing interest in something. And uh, one of my personal dream projects uh, would be to actually develop a, a documentary or a documentary series to highlight some of those emergency managers and, and really bringing, bring it out. Um, earlier this year, I think right before the, the pandemic hit, um, Netflix came out with a, a show called Pandemic, I believe. And, yeah. um, and I watched it and I thought it was so, it was so wonderful because I, I was seeing these individuals and and what they're doing every day. And I remember, um, I can't recall her name right now, but this uh, woman who, uh, young, working in New York and leading the, the public health response uh, in, in New York. And I was so in awe of, of her and, you know, also running, having a family, but also being this power woman and uh, seeing how much uh, uh, how much importance her job had. And so I think that really goes a long way. Yeah. We actually had Gabby, uh, Gabby, Gabby, sorry, Gabby. We had Gabby on the show and she's an amazing person, by the way. Um, and uh, so that being said, storytelling is very important. And, you know, you have um, uh, Mr. McKinney here uh, who wrote a great book uh, doing lessons um, from um, emergency management, but told in a storytelling way. And I, I love that. That was our, our, our Kelly gave us books last year to uh, for our giveaway. And I think it's uh, one of those things that I think is important that we miss sometimes is telling those stories, especially when we're up in front of a crowd, right. Uh, of, of people that need to know what we do and telling the stories is very important. Uh, you know, I have uh Katrina or uh, Karina um, says, yes, I love storytelling. And then Eric Smith says, kind of going back with this one's very true it should be standalone talking about what we we're talking about before and we see a good mix here in northern nevada and i think going back to that storytelling and how do we get our administration to understand what we do as well um how do you see us getting in front of the decision makers such as you know either your elected officials and or your um, administrative staff for cities that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's also something I would like to devote a, a particular initiative to through the Emergency Management Growth Initiative to work with our elected officials. Um, I don't have the, the perfect answer to it yet, but I think if we were to, to bring those elected officials together, uh, maybe in a capacity of having a a conference of some sort for them to actually meet emergency managers and we could have various representations from small city to to state to you know 
what have you, and and discuss what it is that we do and walk through different EOCs um, and really expose them to, to our profession. That would be key. I know that here in LA City, we have a, a person who serves as the um, interface between the mayor's office and the emergency management department. And that's a quite a, a unique position. Marilande has it. Um, and I, we were talking about, about it the other day. We were wondering how many other cities across the U.S. have that person who is directly embedded in the mayor's office and can really be there at the mayor's ear and, and whisper all the, the good things that um, he or she needs to hear. So there definitely needs to be more, and we need also to do more uh, legislative work, I think. So much could be addressed in the way our laws are, are composed. And so if we did some more lobbying or had the right pe we're connecting with the right people who would help us do that, that would also go a long way and help mitigate a lot of the issues that we face over and over again, whether it's in California, uh, where the wildfires are, or uh, on the... Gulf Coast with with a hurricane, so much could be addressed. Um, so yeah, definitely lots to to do with elected officials. So Laura Hernandez, who was a, was an emergency manager, but she's always an emergency manager, is now an elected official as well. And she says that every jurisdiction is a disaster council, but rarely do we utilize it to leverage to access elected officials, decision makers. You're absolutely right, Laura. On that note, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. I want to get a little bit more into leveraging our elected officials and legislation into making emergency management uh, better. Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around? Something you could carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission. Build the toughest bags and packs for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra-durable bags and packs since 2011, and their bags and packs are trusted by the clients such as the FBI, U.S. Secret Service, and U.S. SOCOM. Yes, that is the U.S. Special Operations Command. Their bags and packs offer the best organization for the user-friendly experience, such as the high-visibility interior for the users. And I'm telling you something, I love that orange inside the bag because I can find the things I need quickly. I love my VanQuest bag. Don't forget, they offer free shipping, 100-day return guarantee and a lifetime warranty. And if you put an E in weekly, all caps, all one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed Mesh networking, allowing emergency communication, even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of medical or traumatic injuries often seen during austere conditions. Whether it is when you are on the outdoor adventure or your team has responded to a major crisis, the Outer Limit Supply Company provides practical, user-friendly first aid and trauma kits that anyone can use. 
If you enter EM Weekly at checkout, you'll receive 20% off your purchase. So go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. Hey, welcome back from the quick break. And thank you so much for listening to our sponsors because without them, we could not bring you the quality program that we bring. So before we went on the break, we're talking a little bit about, you know, really leveraging legislation or at least our government officials to help make emergency management. um, I hate to say more professional because we're professional. Um, I think it's just moving into that next step of of recognition of what the profession really is. Now, Laura, Laura Hernandez, again, she goes in and says league of California cities is a good place to start. Now I agree with that. And also other um, organizations throughout the nation, each state and, and counties um, have organizations that, that do um, government legislation and, and affair, government affairs. And one of the things I noticed too, though, about emergency managers and our organizations, such as, well, I'm not, I'm not picking an IAEM, but that's one most people know about. Um, they IAEM is a little bit different, but a lot of those organizations are, I don't want to say afraid, but are reluctant to get into, and I'm going to put in air quotes, everybody who's listening, so everybody can see me, the, the lobbying uh, aspects of things. But I think it's something that we have to do. Why do you think emergency managers are afraid to, to lobby. I mean, the, the, the police departments aren't, the fire departments aren't, EMS is not afraid to lobby. They'll go in and knock on, on doors. Why are we so reluctant as emergency management organizations to do that? I think it's because we're a, a relatively young profession. Um, we have some structural issues that we're still trying to, to come up with, right? Uh, how do you uh, this conversation always comes up. Are we a profession? Um, how can we standardize the profession? And these other professions, they've had unions for for decades and decades, and so they have that structure. Um, and we're so new that we really need to to build it. Um, that would be my guess, but i'm I'm not an expert, so Daniel, maybe you have a <laughs> a better idea, but um, that's one of the things that I see is we, yeah, it's not an area that we have spent much time dedicating to. And so we, that's something we need to work on, and especially if we report to organizations like police, like fire. Um, that also shows that we are kind of lacking that that structure as well. I think it's, you know, with me, I think it's, it's upon us. We're, we're the ones working in the profession. And we're not doing enough as individuals, as emergency managers, to promote what it is we do, why it is, why it's important and how we can function better being, being in, in, in a lot of times. And even in with myself, it can seem like self-promoting. Um, I need to be, I need to be at the seat of the table. I need to be um, uh, equal to the, the, the police chief and the fire chief. You know, it's one of those things that it seems like it's self-promoting, even though it is in a way, but it's beneficial to the organizations, the communities, the jurisdictions in which we represent, but it's upon us. But a lot of it is because we're restricted. There's one, usually one of us. Sometimes if we're lucky, we have a a small team, small uh, fire departments, police departments, EMS, there's hundreds and thousands of them. They're in the public eye every day. People call them for help every day. Um, so it's harder for us because we are and we're kind of in the back room because that's where a lot of our work is done. And I think a lot of it, though, is changing the way we do our work. Uh, someone made a comment of uh, once that, well, you, you're in an office a lot. Well, not if you're doing the job correctly. If you're doing if you're engaging the community, you're reaching out to people, you're networking, your relationship building, you're partner getting partnerships together. 
you need to be forward facing and you need to be out there. And I think that's the way we change our profession. That's the way we change the visibility of what it is that we do is we got to get out front of what we do every day versus writing plans and doing training in the background. We need to come to the forefront and we need to show people what it is, what we do, how it's important and how they can help build it to what we do. I mean, I've worked with people and I brought them in because they needed to help me with something law enforcement or from fire. And they're like, this is what you do. This is awesome. How do I learn more? A lot of people just don't really understand what it is we do and how we do it and why it's important. And as soon, as soon as you open that door, they want more. They want to hear more. They want to get involved. And that's what we need to do more of. Yeah. And to, to add to that, I, I definitely think it links back to the idea of visibility. And um, if if people don't know that you exist, you know, then why would they ever care for you? And right. and that's a big piece that you mentioned of we have to be out there in the community and my when I was uh, working at UCLA as their training specialist, I loved that job because every day I would be out in the UCLA community training, and I would also be kind of the interface, you know, the the person that the our staff would see, our students would see, and could also ask questions about why did we why did UCLA respond in this certain way uh, for this certain disaster. And it's really that trust building and that relationship building. And yeah, so many people didn't even know that we were an organization. They received our Bruin alerts on their phone when something was going on, but they had no idea who the people were behind it and what all else goes into that. Absolutely. Irene makes a good point um, about emergency managers being legislatures and, and running for, for office because you're right. I mean, they, they would make uh, great uh, legislatures and, and understanding the, the consideration of residents and uh, being realistic about the budget constraints. That is a, a good point. Uh, you know, and then I, I don't have a name here, but somebody just wrote, although emergency managers need to be better engaged in operational and business needs to create uh, better interoperability. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're absolutely right. You know, that's a relationship between emergency management and, and businesses. And I think that's another place where where EM can do a great service um, in the community, especially those that are working within uh, local jurisdictions, where you have those relationships with businesses, um, with the Chamber of Commerces, go out and, and engage and speak to people. You know, um, the other thing too, I think with emergency managers where we could do a better job is learning to do public speaking. Uh, a lot of emergency managers still don't want to step up in front of the crowd and, and talk, but you need to be able to step up in front and be charismatic and speak to the crowd and teach those classes and, you know, go to the chamber of commerces, to your lions clubs, to your, um, your rotary clubs, your Qantas clubs and, and be out in front and have them know who you are. And I think that's the other step of, of making us more visible in the community as well. What do you think of that, Lorraine? I, I agree. And um, it's funny, a lot of what we're saying right now, actually next week I'll be uh, giving an EM vision talk at the IEM conference. And my whole talk is about popularizing the field of emergency management and, and all the ways to do it. Um, all the, the output we have to do in public speaking is one that I mentioned. And, and again, leading back to what I said initially, to not just do public speaking in front of emergency managers, but in front of, of other groups as well. Absolutely. Mark Vogel says, need to stress our, our elected officials 
that the and the public that emergency management is not just there for disaster response. And I think that's that's the other thing where we fail. And and we can we're gonna push this back to Dan here in a second, because Dan and I've had conversations about this before. We do lights and sirens very well. Uh, Brock Long talked about the idea of pulling emergency management out of the lights and sirens because it's that's just very one aspect of what we do. But then once you you have somebody who is a collateral duty emergency manager who works for, say, the fire department or the police department, and once the response is over, they get lost in how to really recover funds, how to prepare the community, all those other aspects, the resiliency aspect of it, the mitigation aspect of it. Um, those other areas where we lack as a, as a profession, not as professionals, but as a per whole total, uh, where we, we tend to not do as well. Um, is that because we have so many collateral duty emergency managers or is it because it's not, and I always use the term, it's not the sexy quote unquote. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not the, the sexy part, I think, or people don't consider it the sexy part. Although, you know, I think some, a lot of emergency managers have their preference as to, to what it is. And, um, I love leading preparedness initiatives. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's all about getting the word out there and, and showing that investment and the better you run your preparedness initiatives throughout the year, the better you maintain that engagement with the population, be it through a cert program or the like, um, the better off you will be when that disaster then actually hits. You know, and I agree, I agree with that as well, but I think ultimately too, there's, there's so much uh, in the response industry right now. And that is the set. I mean, that's where we spend the most money. That's where we see the most uh, effect is in the, the respond. We see something bad happen. We respond to it. It hits the news. You know, the news isn't covering everything. We, you know, we, the exciting thing of mitigation, the exciting thing we prevented today, you know, it's, it's, this is happening now. And this is the response we're giving to it. This is the money. And this is how we, you know, the recovery is going, but it, there needs to be more of that because there is a lot of collateral duty. And it's upon those individuals that are on those collateral duty to really understand what they're doing. And as I said, that's one of the issues that I have is that I've said it many times is those individuals that are given that collateral duty who don't take it seriously, who don't understand how big of a collateral duty that it really is and how important it is that they understand the job. And then there are those that they are thrown into that job, It's a it, but it's a rotational position. So just as they got become to learn the job right. and get good at it, they rotate out. And the new person comes in, has no idea what they're doing, and they have to do it again. And as soon as they get good at it and really understand it, they rotate out. And it, it needs to, where there has to be some somebody pushing those initiatives. And who better to do that than emergency managers, real emergency managers who know what they're doing? Because we really are the link that holds them all together. They don't. You, if you understand most emergency man, most emergency response responders, they don't talk to each other. They don't want to talk to each other. They're not it, it, when they're out on the scene. This who, who's top dog. But when an emergency manager comes on scene, they know how to talk with these people. They know how to interact and they know how to give them the direction, the guidance, the coordination, the support that they need. Who better to link those people together and give them an understanding than an emergency manager? Absolutely. Ray Chung says, ultimately, we are salespeople trying to sell a vision of more prepared future. Our success or failure will depend on our skills at selling a product that is scary, expensive, and will only be noticed if it fails. And at the end of the day, it's almost like an insurance policy, right? I mean, you know, no one really wants to pay for the insurance policy, but you know, when you have that earthquake or that accident or whatever, um, it's it's key to have. And then before we I ask my next question, I want to get it. Um, Eileen says, get on local TV news with regular segment, not just doing 
the gray skies. Yeah. Not just during the gray skies. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, and I teach, um, in my class, uh, part of it is media relations and having that great relationship that you can have uh, with the media. It doesn't have to be advantageous, um, and getting in front of them on blue sky days, getting them to your preparedness expos or becoming that expert and being invited to talk about these things, especially during like national preparedness month and, um, you know, other tsunami awareness month coming up in March is a good time for everybody on the coast, you know, to, to get out involved in these things. So absolutely. So Lorraine, how, so now you're, you know, you, you are pretty media savvy, right? How do we get, you know, in front of those TV cameras? Um, in front of TV cameras. Uh, that's a good question. Maybe, uh, <laughs> I would ping somebody on, on Twitter for that, uh, any local news stations. But another thing that I wanted to bring up is writing. Anybody can write. So in addition to public speaking, something we could be doing more of is write and publish our work. And it's so easy to do that these days. Um, even if you take a platform like Medium, you can sign up and you can, you know, publish your articles and you can share those articles with obviously your your network, your LinkedIn network. But you can also it will be out there and shared with the entire rest of the world. And if it gets picked up, um, you will have hundreds, if not thousands of readers and people you would have not reached before. Um, and then, of course, you can also try to write and, you know, connect with uh, local newspapers and such to try to sell your stories. But even if you can't get that far, you still have a way of sharing what it is you think is important with the world. And if you're a good storyteller, if you make it compelling, um, yeah, you just will will touch a lot of people's hearts. So we're getting close to the end, but I want to, this is a good point. And Eileen uh, brings this up. It's just, how do you deal with community that has EM position that's actually half time with a fire department position is usually given to someone a few years away from retirement. And I'm going to add to that. Emergency management positions have been known to being a retirement job. You do 25 years or 30 years, at the fire department or police department, you get done with that job. And then you go and you apply to be an emergency manager somewhere. And we had a, a, a gentleman, great guy, I, excellent fire chief. I know him personally. I'm not going to out him right now, um, who took a part-time position with a local jurisdiction um, after he became a fire chief with emergency management. And he stated out loud in a public meeting that he did not understand all the details that went into emergency management and had to relearn a position. Um, and he and again, he, he left that position. He's no longer there. But... That being said, that's that was a fire chief, an accomplished fire chief that, you know, everybody would think would be able to fit into that position well and had to learn so much more. What are we going to do to stop these jobs from being considered a retirement job? I can't say we stop them. You know, Police One Magazine put an article out one time that says, take some IS classes online from FEMA and you too could be an emergency manager. It's like, what do we do to, to move that window over to where you're going, hey, you know, when you retire as an emergency manager, you never hear anybody go, Oh, what are you going to do after retire and say, well, I'm going to go be a fire chief or I'm going to go be a police chief. Right. But fire chiefs and police chiefs are very confident that they can go and do emergency management. Um, how do we really sell the fact that the skills are completely different? I think it falls back to what we discussed. If we do the things that we've, we've just discussed of, interacting more with our elected officials, help them understand what the position truly entails, what it is that we do. Um, that's one piece. If we remove emergency management from fire department, that is another piece. Um, it, it's, yeah, if 
we do more of these structural changes, then we can this problem will get eliminated by itself um, because it is a it is a you you have to learn it now. I mean, you you have more and more programs now to study it. It's we've we're really moving away from just um, having retired firefighters, police officers jump into this. We have a lot of young people who are now coming into this profession really eager to to get started, and this would be the ideal situation for them to start. So we need to be better able to promote that. Absolutely. And they're so talented. You know, they're so, they, I, I love talking to uh, the colleges. I, I've been invited to speak to various different groups across the country. And I, I love talking to them and asking them questions and, and being with the young people that are coming into the, into the, uh, into the profession because they're so talented, intelligent, and eager. It's, it's great. I'm going to ask one last question and we're going to end it with this. So Patrick uh, Dolson comes on and says, do you think that the events of this year will help boost the EM profession by bringing more awareness to what we do and will it help us sell quote unquote emergency management? I think that yes, it has helped us. It has helped us be in front of elected officials. For example, a lot of elected officials have had to work with their emergency managers, maybe some even for the first time. Um, smaller local places may have seen the need for emergency managers for the first time. But just like after every tragedy, time will pass and so will the interest level associated with increased funding, job opportunities, etc. So it is key that we build on this, that we don't just think, oh, we had a global pandemic, everybody was made aware of how badly a disaster can turn out. We really have to build on that. And by by continuing to engage and not let people forget because we see that with all kinds of emergencies we see that with active active shooter um, incidents where an active shooter incident happens suddenly we see an increase we have an increase in demand for active shooter training etc and then time passes and it falls back down same thing with earthquake trainings etc so we really need to build off of that and we can't just sit back and say, okay, COVID-19 happened and now it's going to help us. And this is the time for us to really jump into action and share the stories and share how we helped manage this pandemic. I think it boils down to the consistency. We need to be consistent in our efforts because there are so many differences across the, the, you know, as we've said in the positions itself, there's differences in how we do things, but we need to be consistent in how we do things, but also our day to day and how we plan for, train for, mitigate, prevent all, you know, all the mission areas of emergency management. We need to be more consistent in that. I mean, we're, and we're in a very, uh, we're in a good place right now to really show why it's important that we do what we do and why it's important to have people doing what we do. But one of the issues is is another and it's another thing. We are in we are in the middle, and we have to hit the top and the bottom. We have to let the the masses know, but we also have to let the decision makers know why it's important. So you're kind of having to influence both ways. You're leading down, you're leading up, and you're leading in your leading side to side. So ultimately, uh, it's up to us to be consistent in our day to day to make to let people know why is why it's important of what we do. But we have to influence all those around us. Because once we influence them and we let them, they're our voice too. They're the, they're talking and they're letting people, did you know this? Did you know that? Uh, did you understand this? I mean, did you know Dan did that? And it went, once you get that that understanding from people, they start being your voice too. And then it, it starts to spread. I've, met, I've made this this um, 
this analogy before, but we want we would love emergency management and the importance of emergency management to spread like this pandemic did. <laughs> With the word of it, just to get, did you understand why it's important that we do emergency management and for that, the importance of it and for the establishment of our profession and the people doing it to just grow like that and just go, again, that's it. We are in the public eye and we can become very quickly in the public eye, but you have to let people understand why it is that we, it's important and what it is exactly that we do to work in our jurisdictions. And I would add to that too that, um, and it's too early to say to say because, like you said, we're still in the midst of it. But for us to not have false confidence that oh, this organization we survived COVID nineteen, so now we can survive anything. Um, so, or also that fatigue because it, this has been going on for for such a long period of time, and now as we're trying to engage with some of the business segments of. Um, and they're just tired because they have been so involved in the COVID-19 response. And so now we can't get to all these other aspects of preparedness and resilience that we need to, that are part of our planning process. Absolutely. And, you know, Joe, Bro uh, Joe Browning says nothing wrong with recruiting younger people in the field, but there's a lot to gain from the past experience with those with a proper background. And Joe, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You know, the, the, the background and, and experience is important as well. But as long as those people that are have that background and experience, and if they want to be emergency managers, uh, go and get the proper training and not just thinking that. Uh, and and I, I came from Lights and Sirens, right? I, I came from EMS. Um, that's where I started my career. Uh, so I'm, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be really... But it's the idea of going and getting additional training. Hey, Dan, Lorraine, thank you so much for, for uh, spending time with us today. I want to bring producer Brian in. Thank you so much for doing everything on the back end and making sure all your comments are done. And everybody who joined us today to listen to what we're talking about and, and engaging in the conversation is really important. Everybody go out and do great work still. Uh, stay safe during this uh, time. And the holidays are coming up. And, uh, you know, be safe during the holidays. And everybody, stay safe. And as Mackenzie says, stay hydrated.